This morning our scripture reading is from Hebrews 10. We've been going through the book of Hebrews this summer. And this morning uh, we're going to do the scripture reading, which is Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25, a little different. We're going to read it together. And for the sake of uniformity, uh, the words will be up on the screen so that we're all reading from the same version. But Hebrews chapter 10, with one voice, let's read these words and listen to what is in God's word. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you catch that first word? Therefore. Therefore is a word that is used to introduce a logical conclusion. Uh, From a particular fact it follows that something is true. Therefore, notes a consequence. Because this is true, therefore, this is a reality. Therefore is used nine times by the, reader, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews. And it is used again and again in the book of Hebrews because Hebrews kinds of, kind of builds on itself. Um, One thing follows from another, and because of one thing, then this is true, and because God has done this, we can now experience that. The therefore in our passage this morning, chapter 10, is a big therefore. And first we look back on what Hebrews has written, what, what the writer has told us so far. That because Jesus Christ is God's Son, the radiance of God's glory, and is now at the right hand of the Father, because He is now crowned with glory and honor, because He suffered death for everyone, because He is greater than Moses and a son over God's entire house, And because he sympathizes with our weaknesses and he's been tempted, just just like we have been tempted. And because he is able to save those who come to God through him and he intercedes for us, 
because he is a mediator who has brought a better covenant, a better way of relating to God, because he has died to set people free from sins under that first covenant, because he has entered heaven and he has appeared before God's presence, because he has made us perfect and we are being made holy, because there's no longer any remembrance of our sins. Therefore, therefore, we have confidence to approach God. Because of Jesus Christ, we have confidence in our relationship to God. We have confidence because through Jesus' blood, He's opened a new and living way. We can approach God. In the Old Covenant, the worshipers had to go through the high priest who had to sacrifice animals, whose blood was needed to be presented for the sins of the people. And the high priest, and only the high priest, had to go behind a curtain that acted as a kind of separation, a barrier between people and God. And he did this in order to pray for and make atonement for the sins of the people. But now, God has spoken in a better way. God has made a better covenant, provided a better hope through a better sacrifice. Giving us a better high priest in his son, Jesus Christ. And all believers can confidently, confidently go into the most holy place, which is to say, have access to God, his heart, his ear, his presence, his attention. We can figuratively go into his throne room, you might say. Confidence, confidence is to have boldness. Confidence is uh, to believe with uh, deep conviction and certainty that something is true, that something is real. Confidence is reliance. It is trust that uh, something is going to take place. Confidence is believing something is successful. Something will work. That's confidence. Now, the passage in Hebrews that we read this morning kind of draws all the themes that we've been hearing in Hebrews all together. Listen to the way uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 reads in the message, because I think it really picks up the spirit of the passage. So, friends, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God, into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So let's do it, full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging one another and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. The way for us to approach God has been opened up. Let's walk up confidently. When I was a teenager growing up in the uh, Oakland-San Francisco Bay Area, I got a job with a 
newspaper as a sports writer, as a stringer. Um, it was for a, a newspaper called the Richmond Independent Berkeley Gazette, a daily paper. I wrote small-time stories, high school sports, and you know the local bowling league and impressive stuff like that. And uh, I got paid by the story. And uh, the paper was in decline. And eventually, the Independent Gazette did fold a few years later. Uh, but, but one of the benefits of that was that they didn't always have, they rarely had someone that they could pay to go and cover the major sports of the major sports teams in the Bay Area. And press passes were often not used. The Independent Gazette had season press passes. Uh, one summer I was out of school and they had season press passes to the Oakland A's and the San Francisco Giants baseball games. And uh, the press passes got me into the game, got me down onto the field, before the games, got me into the press box to watch the games. I could go into the locker room if I wanted to, although I rarely did because I didn't have a reason to. I'd often grab the press passes and I'd go to the games. And I would rub shoulders with players on the teams uh, as they were taking batting practice, as they were warming up on the field uh, two hours, three hours before the game. Uh, all the baseball personnel, the media was down there. Uh, this was the early 80s. I, you know, I'd, I'd come down, and, and there was Reggie Jackson, and there was Harmon Killebrew, and there was Ozzie Smith, and uh, there was Billy Martin, and there was Yogi Berra. And um, sometimes former baseball greats would be there because they were now announcers for teams that had come into town, and so they were around, and, and I see all these great figures. And, and one evening, I went down, I grabbed the passes for an Oakland A's Baltimore Orioles uh, baseball game, and as I went down on the field, I stood around the batting cage, just like all the other writers and the personnel, and I realized that I was standing right next to Brooks Robinson. Now, if you're a baseball fan, you know who that is. Brooks Robinson was maybe the all-time greatest third baseman, played for the Baltimore Orioles. He is Hall of Fame. He is big time. He's legendary. And um, not only did I confidently enter the stadium through the media, special media doorway with my press passes, thank you very much, not only did I go right down on the field showing my pass to the guard who was guarding the, the way down onto the field, thank you very much, not only did I confidently approach the very place where the players were doing their batting practice, thank you very much, and stood in the dugout, thank you very much, but now I was standing right next to one of the legends of baseball. And I acted like I was supposed to be there, because I was. My access was legit. Nobody questioned me. And you know what? I confidently began to speak to Brooks Robinson. I don't remember what I asked. I don't remember what I said. Um, but I approached him just like I knew him or something. And you know what? He talked back to me. And he couldn't have been nicer. He couldn't have been more pleasant. Um, I mean, here I am. I mean, he knows I'm not some kind of big-time writer or anybody. He has no idea. I, you know, at that age, I was just trying to get my peach fuzz to grow a little faster, you know. And, and here's this gawky high school kid talking to Brooks Robinson, a grade of the game, but we converse for a few moments like equals, like a high school kid could just talk to some baseball god. 
And uh, there we were, and then he had to get up to the booth for, the, for his duties before the game, and that was that. Hebrews tells us we have confidence to approach God because Christ has opened the way for us to do this. And because we have confidence, we're told three things. There are three, let us then do these things. Three let us phrases. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. First, we are encouraged to draw near. There's no curtain between God and us. And there is no uncleanliness that keeps us from approaching God anymore. We are to have sincere hearts, and that word sincere means, it means to be true. It means to be genuine. It means to be real. We draw near to God with total honesty. We want Him to see us as we are, whether we are doing well or whether we're burdened, whether we're particularly um, feeling faithful or whether we just feel very dead in terms of faith. We approach Him with full assurance of faith as we are with the conviction that we are presentable to God through Jesus. We have full assurance that in the same way the Old Testament priest used to bring in the animal's blood and sprinkle it in the most holy place, so Christ's blood offered for our sins has cleansed our consciences. Second, we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Some Bibles read, hold fast or hold firm. Now, literally, the word unswervingly means to be straight, not to be bent. It's the fifth time the writer of Hebrews has used this word, and he speaks of holding tight to our hope, to the faith we profess, to the convictions that we have. And we are to hold unswervingly to our hope in God because God's promises have shown that he is faithful. Our hope and our faith is grounded in the faithfulness of God. And God has promised that any person can come to him through Jesus, that our sins are forgiven, that we are made clean, that he has done away with any barriers and that we are welcomed by him. Confidence, not in ourselves, but in his faithfulness, what he's done and what he said. Now, the voice of the enemy will be different. That voice will say, God doesn't want you near him. He is going through all the sins and the failures you've been making and he is so angry with you, you are too much of a mess to come near God. Stay away. And that voice can be so strong. So we need to hold unswervingly to our hope in the faithful promises of God. And third, it says, let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. What a great thought. Spurring encouraging the words can mean provoke provoke one another to love and good deeds how many ways can we love people how much good can we do and how many ways can we do it what actions and words will do good you know our hope and our faith is always put into actions we know how anemic christian faith looks when there's no good works behind it right And we charge one another at the end of our services to go out and to do this because here at MOPC, we find that is essential to our faith, to do certain things, to live a certain way. 
Along with these three let us do statements, there is also a let us not statement. Let us not give up meeting together as is the habit of some, but let's encourage one another. We live in a day when people who who claim to be Christians and followers of Christ are not in the habit of meeting together. Luke tells us one of the pattern of Jesus' life, his habit, was to go to the synagogue every Sabbath and meet with the people of God. And some people who profess faith don't even do that. And yet we want to be like Christ. Here's a call to community in Christ. Meet together. Don't give up meeting together. That's a call to community. The word give up means forsake or abandon. We're not to forsake meeting together. In a couple of chapters, the writer of Hebrews will speak how God never forsakes us. That's the way he's going to use the same word. God never forsakes us. If God doesn't forsake us, how can we forsake him? How can we forsake one another? You know, even when, when we're on vacation, even when I'm on vacation from MOPC or away, I try to find a place to meet together with believers on Sunday. Um, you get a wide range of experiences, those who share that practice of, of going to churches when we're traveling. And sometimes it's not the most wonderful experience in the world, and sometimes it's quite enlightening. I mean, every other church pales in comparison to ours anyway, so I don't hold it against them. But that's not the point. The point is meeting with believers, being encouraged in faith in Christ. I wish everyone came every Sunday. I wish this place was full every Sunday. I wish that uh, attendance is always higher. I wish every church here around us in this valley was full all the time. I wish our attitude was, I need God and I need you. Uh, coming from California, you know, we have uh, giant redwood trees. Have you seen them? Boy, they're, they're something. They're massive. They're beautiful. And um, giant redwood trees have something in common. Uh, they have a, a relatively, even though they're, they're just massive, they have a relatively shallow root system. The roots don't go down very deep. And yet these enormous trees, I, I mean, they, they have incredible weight. How does each tree stand so tall, so straight, so mighty for so many years, um, for so long? The massive weight of these redwoods, the massive weight of these redwoods is supported by the interlocking of all those roots of one another. The roots grow into one another. Christians need interlocking roots. We need interlocking roots with others in the church to endure, to hold the weight, to hold the burden of life. We need each other to encourage us, to spur us on, to love, to good works, so that we don't live as self-centered people, but that we live as Christ people. We need to be cared for. We need to care for others. We need to be lifted up. We need to lift others. We can do that if we meet together. Don't forsake meeting together. Especially as the day, the day of Christ's return, draws closer and closer. It's why when we go from church to church and we never lay deep roots in a community, we never really interlock, we become very vulnerable and it's very hard to get stability. I know 
the weight of things uh, we've carried over the past year or so has been easier because of the encouragement and the love so many of you have shown to me, to our family. Our roots have interlocked with yours. Your upholding helps bear the weight. Many of you, you know what that's like. We draw near. We hold unswervingly. We come together to encourage one another because of the confidence we have in Christ. We approach Him boldly. We're welcome. He's provided that path for us. Take advantage of Christ's coming, His dying, His shed blood, and all He has done to open that way for us to come to Him. Claim this new and living way. Claim that gift. He's paid an awful lot for it. Approach Him confidently because He's full of love. He's full of compassion. He's full of mercy. Approach Him with burdens and hurts. Approach Him with your desires and your hopes. Approach Him with your doubts, with your messes, with your uncertainties and your anxieties and your broken pieces and your unanswered questions. Approach Him with your frustrations and our disappointments and our hurts. Approach Him with joys and thanksgivings and praises too. We need to do that. Approach Him whenever, wherever, however. You can come to Him alone. You can come to Him with others. Worried about not having it all together, not being spiritual enough, not knowing what to say, what to do. Go ahead, walk right in. Matt Cain, who leads uh, the Mount, our Sunday evening church for... um, mostly young adults, and uh, also helps with our youth ministry, our teenagers. Uh, he shared something a couple of months ago with our young people that, uh, about approaching God that, boy, I just thought was really good. Um, it comes from a theologian and poet from North Ireland named, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, Padraig O'Tuama. And, and he leads a, a community, the Corrymeela community in Northern Ireland, which really focuses on Uh, as you would expect in that place, peace and reconciliation amongst people by living together. They say, we've got to be together, live together. Um, And this Irish theologian writes about his need to sit before, to approach God every morning. And here's part of it. He says, I greet God in my own disorder. I say, Hello to my chaos, my unmade decisions, my unmade bed, my desire and my trouble. I say hello to distraction and privilege. I greet the day and I greet my beloved and bewildering Jesus. I greet the things I think will happen. I I say hello to everything I do not know about the day. I greet my own small world, and I hope that I can meet the bigger world that day. I greet God, and I greet the God who is more God than the God I greet. You know, the writer of Hebrews earlier wrote, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
Because this God who has shown himself in Jesus Christ, you know what? He is more God than the God we think we know and that we can even imagine.